As a young teen, Mary became a follower of Jesus after reading Focus on the Family's Brio magazine. And I remember thinking to myself, I don't have that. I'd really like to know what that's about. And so it was, it was an inward decision right there that I made in my room after reading you know, this article in the Brio magazine that I want to have that kind of walk with God that this girl is talking about. For 30 years, we've helped Mary grow in her faith. We've strengthened her marriage, and now we're equipping her to be a good mom to her own kids. Like, really Focus on the Family has been, and all the, the different resources and individuals, the voices of Focus on the Family, it's really been a mentor to me, to my family, um, and just it's cool to see the legacy. I'm Jim Daly. Working together, we can save more families like Mary's every month. Please call 800-A-FAMILY or donate at FocusOnTheFamily.com slash family. Welcome to Focus on the Family's weekend broadcast. We hope the following program will challenge you and encourage you in your faith journey. Good parenting looks like understanding your children, where they are, and how you can work with the Lord to help them get to the next place. I think good parenting is knowing when to speak up and knowing when you should just shut up and listen. To just be aware of their emotional balance or lack thereof, and instead of feeding off of that, to try and just breathe deep and deal with it. Good parenting strategy. Sometimes just hold your tongue. What do you think? Do those comments uh, capture your experience as a mom or a dad? Would you maybe do things differently? Well, today on Focus on the Family, we'll look at parenting suggestions like these, and uh, they may challenge your perspective and help you think more intentionally about how you raise your kids. We hope so. Uh, your host is Focus President and author Jim Daly, and I'm John Fuller. John, I think it's fair to say that parenting can be, at times, very hard work, you know, and it, it is something you have to do. It's like going to the gym, you got to work on those muscles if you want to improve what you look like. Mm. And uh, the same is true in parenting. You got to put effort into it. Sometimes it's subtle. I think some of the conflict in marriage in the parenting role is because you and your spouse probably come from a different perspective on how to do that. Mm. It certainly happened with Jean and I. I mean, she wanted a real formal devotion, you know, start at seven. We're going to sing for five minutes, and then we're going to read the word for 10, and then we're going to share for five, and then close in a And I was more like on the go, in the car. How do we share the Lord with what's around us and what's the story in front of us? But you've got to be mindful about what you're doing and the work that you need to do as a parent. Parenting is one of the most challenging jobs we're going to ever have. And um, I guess here's the bottom line, too. There's no formula that's ironclad. There's predictive things that we can do as a parent. Uh, Stay married is one of the best things you can do as a parent to show your kids uh, uh, love for their mom or their dad. That's so critical. But today we're going to talk about 52 parenting principles and things you can do to do the best job you can do in being a parent. Mm -hmm. And Focus on the Family is here to help you on your parenting journey. We have so many resources. Jim, you've said time and again, this is a treasure trove resource-rich ministry. And uh, we have real-life moms and dads come through sharing their hearts, and that's what we have today. Uh, Miles, welcome to Focus. Thank you. It's great to be with you I guess studio. I should say welcome to this end of the building. Exactly. It's nice to be down <laughs> here. you're working at the other end. <laughs> exactly. It's so good to have you here. And it's a great thing. You've written this book, mm. 52 Parenting Principles. Um, one thing that I've noticed, especially with Christian parents, we tend to think formulaically. 
that if we do these things and we do them in the right dose and the right ingredients, then we get the right outcome. Mm. But there is this little bugger of a thing called free will. Mm. So our kids don't always uh, do or turn out the way we expected, even with the great inputs that we may have uh, provided. So speak to that Mm. formula problem that sometimes can pop up. It doesn't mean you you don't do those Mm -hmm. things, but it's not a formula. Mm -hmm. It's not a formula. Well, and you'll notice the book is called 52 Parenting Principles, not 52 Parenting Guarantees. Right. So there's a distinction there that we can make off the top. I don't, we all know that there aren't any formulas or plans that you can follow that's going to produce the perfect kids and the perfect outcomes. But the reality is when we started having kids, that's probably what I was looking for. That's when I started listening to Focus on the Family. And I read a lot of the information from people that you had sitting here. And my desire was to avoid some of the stories that I'd heard from you know people I'd worked with, uh, just people I talked to about the strained and broken relationships that they had you know, with their kids. And I didn't want that to be our fate. And uh, I think you guys know that my background was in health and fitness. So uh, when I got my master's degree, I worked with a lot of um, doing personal training, really, with a lot of high-level CEOs and community leaders. And people from the outside, when you look and you, you knew, heard their stories from the outside, it looked like they had everything together. But when you work with people like that on a weekly basis, you know, they begin to develop a lot of trust in you and they let their guard down and the onion starts to be peeled back and they start sharing things that are going on about what's going on in their family. And a lot of them had strained and broken relationships with their kids. And I thought, you know, as a young, this was even before we had kids, you know, I wasn't even married yet, but it left an impression on me. And it was at that point that I thought, you know what, I don't care how much success, I don't know what my career path is going to be, but I don't want their story to be my story. Yeah, but it is pretty common, and especially with those people, because they're high achievers, they've got their mm-hmm. lists, and they're working their future and where they want to go. Right. So that even that can become pretty uh, stressful for the children of oh. those parents. You were honest, though, in the book, you did talk about your mistakes mm-hmm. as a dad and, and uh, being outwardly focused, if I recall exactly how you said it. Mm -hmm. Uh, When did you have the epiphany that maybe, even knowing the stories that you knew, Mm -hmm. I wasn't on the right path always as a dad? Mm -hmm. How did that come together for you? Well, that's kind of how the book started. You know, after my devotional times in the morning, and our, you know, I think our oldest was probably about seven years old, I would start making a list of things that I just thought that we should work on as parents, right? And so the list continued to develop and grow. And it was just a bulleted list of things that I thought, you know, these are things that we could focus on. And I had, I don't know, probably a dozen or so on the list at that point. And I kind of reviewed it. And I thought, you know what? Um, All of these things are things that I'm probably contributing to. And in order for them to change, it's up to me first that I need to take 100% responsibility for what's going on because I can only change myself. I can't control them, but I can control what I do. So if I didn't like the environment or the conflict that was developing, what could I do first? What could I change? Look inward versus looking outward. Why is that so hard for us? I mean, we're just not wired that way. We're no, not I mean, wired we're that selfish. way. Yeah, we're not wired that way. I, I want to look external. You know, I, I went back to school. I got my PhD basically in uh, behavior change. How could I be the source of the problem, right? I'm I am pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I'm older. I'm wiser. You know, I have the experience. These are just kids. But I realized that that really wasn't working very well. It didn't get me anywhere. So in the book, uh, the I think the first principle is take 100% responsibility. It didn't start out as my first principle, but as I reviewed everything that I had, to me, that really was where it came to. It was, I need to start with me if I'm going to expect to see any changes in our kids. 
Miles, uh, parents are probably listening to this, and maybe they have a you know a strong-willed teen or strong-willed two-year-old. It, mm. it doesn't matter. But they're questioning, really? I mean, am I really the mm. one that should be looking at that? You you really punch that idea that contentiousness and conflict in the home uh, is more about the parent than it is about the children. Some parents are going to say, you don't know my kid. Yeah. Again, right there, it's the outward focus. Right. Right. Stop and just reset and think, okay, what can I do differently? And they'll respond differently to us, whether it's the tone we're using, the words that we're saying. You know, we're defensive by nature as well, right? If people attack us or if they accuse us of something, we're going to naturally try to defend ourselves. And kids aren't any different than we are in that respect. Another principle, or at least uh, a concept that you covered in the book, is getting feedback from your children. Mm -hmm. I love that because years ago, I think the boys were probably fifth and seventh grade, somewhere around there. I I was looking at their report cards, right, electronically, even then they were coming that Mm -hmm. way. But I'd be going over their grades with them individually. You know, that looks good. You did good in math. That's good. And oh, English looks a little light. Then I realized, you know, maybe I should let them give me a report card. So I I created this thing, Dad's Report Card. Mm -hmm. Pretty simple. Seven things that, you know, am I spending enough time with you? Do I help make you laugh? I mean, really, I think good things. But it did really open up our conversations. I do think the lowest grade I received from Troy one time was not home enough, mm-hmm. not enough time. Do mm-hmm. I spend enough time with you was one of my questions. Yeah. And he gave me a C. And that crushed me. I was like, mm-hmm. a C? I'm not a C student. <laughs> so I talked to him and said, like, wow, how do I fix yeah. this? Uh, spend more time with me? Mm-hmm. Okay, let's figure out how we can do that. That's where I came up with not traveling during the summer. Mm-hmm. I stopped traveling between Memorial Day and Labor Day. Mm-hmm. And he felt that as a commitment Mm. to him. And it's probably been one of our bedrock uh, points in our relationship. Mm. Well, and there it goes back to, again, you own that, right? He he gave you the feedback and you own that and made a difference. And, you know, the thing with feedback, traditionally feedback, if you've grown up in the work environment, feedback oftentimes focus on the past and what went wrong. And my impression of feedback is kind of what you did. What can I do to be a better dad? How can I get my grade better? And one of the things, <laughs> one of the thing that I, that's a great exercise is to, again, you have to have a high level of trust within the family unit, but who knows us better than our kids and our spouse? Exactly. Nobody, right? <laughs> so uh, uh, kind of what I like to do is, is get feedback that's looking forward. In other words, uh, like once a week or whatever time period you do it, just ask everybody to write down on a piece of paper for everybody that's sitting around the table, what's one thing I did really good this week, right? And then you share that. You look at it, and then they write down what's one thing I can do better, and they share that. Huh. And the person getting that feedback can't argue about it. They can't yeah. refute it. They can't ask questions about it. And then you come back the next week and you say, okay, well, how did I do? And you repeat that over and over again. So it's looking forward. How can I become better? And they're telling us if we're willing to listen. There's so often, and I think parents are doing a better job of this now, but the impression I have is so often just sticking with the grades. You know, your son or daughter gets four A's, a B, and a C. And we automatically go to the C, right? It's just what we do. Man, what happened in that English class? Something happened? Is the teacher good? Or what mm-hmm. happened? It, rather than starting with, my goodness, four A's, that's so much better than what I did in seventh grade. Right. You know, something that's right. a little more affirming. But speak to the kind of the affirmation component. I know some uh, psychologists talk about you need a, like a 10 to 1 ratio. Make sure you're affirming your child right. 10 times to every one 
critical comment that may need to be made. Right. It's not about just data boys, but right. you know, make sure you're filling their tank with a lot of catching them doing the right thing. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah, well, that's right. I mean, what we focus on grows. So our, I think it's out of a good intent that we want the best for our kids. So we kind of feel like we have to point out all these things that they could do better or need to do better. Um, but why not point out those things that we want to reinforce, the things that we want to see more of? Those are the things that we want to focus on. And what I did is I made a list of each of the kids. And I wrote down, these are things that when I just observe them through the course of the week that I really admire about them, things that they do well, huh. right? And I keep that list in front of me. And when I started doing that, those are the things I noticed more of and was able to reinforce and point out for them. And what you get is more of those types of, of things. If we're always critical to them, and if we're not sure, just ask your kids. <laughs> right. they'll, they'll tell you. I mean, they'll share with you. Honesty you know? is not the problem there. <laughs> no, usually it's not, it's not the problem there. So, But it does need to be an intent. You know, and really the subtitle of the book is How to Bring Out the Best in Your Kids. And I didn't put it in the title, but it's really more how do we bring out the best in ourselves, more so than it's how to bring out the best in our kids. Because if we're bringing out the best in ourselves, we'll bring out the best in our kids, whatever that is. Speaking about the best in uh, our children's lives, I think you had a story in the book about your daughter kind of being in a room all day, mm. which every parent would say, oh, what's going on? You know, what what are they doing online, social media, right. whatever it might be. Right, uh, a suspicious we, mind. Tell us, the, yeah, it always goes there, isn't mm. that interesting? But what happened in that context? Yeah, so this was right after COVID, and the kids had gone back to school, but she noticed that there was one boy in their class that wasn't coming back. And uh, she had known him, wasn't a great friend of it, but knew who he was, and um, reached out and found out that he was his parents were quarantining him at home for three months. Ooh. And so she just felt bad about it. And so what she did is she contacted all of her network of friends, and you know she wasn't driving it at the time, so she said, hey, send me a word word of encouragement for the boy. And since they couldn't come and give her all the notes and all that kind of stuff, they texted her or emailed her what they wanted to share with this boy. And so what she was doing up in her room, which I, I found out about, was she was actually got cards and was writing out everything that they'd either texted or, or emailed to her, handwriting all of these cards. She had like 20 cards. Mm -hmm. And so then what I was able to do was to drive her over to this boy's house and leave him at his front door and, and drive away. And again, that's one of those things where, I mean... Can you reinforce that behavior? Is that always going to be the case when you go up into their room and, and find out what they're doing? It's not. But boy, those are the things that you can reinforce and just encourage them and just compliment them on. You know, that's the kind of character that I want to see. Absolutely. This Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment. It's time to level up. Give your kids a safe, faith-focused, and biblically-based community, and so much more. Join the Adventures in Odyssey Club. Club members get on-demand access to the exciting Adventures in Odyssey series, including more than 900 episodes. With faith-building activities, parental controls, and a safe online community, the Adventures in Odyssey Club could be your best adventure yet. Learn more and start your free trial at adventuresinodyssey.com radio. 
Did you know nearly 60% of American adults don't have a will in place? That's a big number, and not having a will can leave a heavy burden for family left behind. If you need a will but don't know where to begin, let Focus on the Family help. Download our resource, 15 Questions to Ask When Preparing a Will. It's our gift to you at focusonthefamily.com slash preparemywill. That's focusonthefamily.com slash preparemywill. This is Focus on the Family with Jim Daly, and our guest today is Dr. Miles Mettler, and uh, we are so glad to have him here in the studio talking about his book, 52 Parenting Principles, How to Bring Out the Best in Your Kids, and we'll encourage you to get a copy of that book today. We're at focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast, or call 800-the-letter-A-in-the-word-family. Miles, another concept you had in the book was this idea of asking permission of your children to talk with them about whatever. Mm-hmm. That seems a little backward to some parents. Like, really? They're my kid. Yeah. Mm. Exactly. That was I don't my report thought. to them. <laughs> that was my thought. But I also didn't like conflict. So I thought, okay, well, what can I do differently? Because, you know, no matter what the kids are doing, whatever they're doing at that time, it's important to them. It may, not, it may not seem important to me, but it doesn't matter if they're playing a video game, if they're reading a book, if they're watching television, if they're doing homework, whatever. And just like us, whatever we're doing in that moment is important to them. And so approach that I started using was just, hey, can I get your attention, right? And so what I see a lot of parents do is they'll make a comment to their kid and then keep walking. So I thought, well, that's not very effective. So I'll say, um, you know, hey, can I have your attention? And then I'll just stand there and not move. And it's amazing how they respond to that. They're not used to that. Mm. Uh, oh, you really want my attention, right? And it's just that, how would we want to be treated if we're in the middle of something and the kids ask us for something? Do I want to be interrupted? And, you know, if you take homework, for example, there's research to show that if you're involved, you know, in, in focused activity, it'll take you, if you get interrupted, it'll take you 20 minutes to get back to that same level of focus. So it's really just a deference thing, and it's a, I think it's a sign of respect, and it's really how we would want to be treated. And it seems formulaic. It may even seem demeaning to some parents, but, you know, if you just get in the habit of doing that, it works really well. Well, and what you're communicating is respect. Exactly. And, you know, that's how they learn to give it, by receiving it, exactly. in my opinion. I think we're modeling that. Yeah, exactly right. right. Um, another great thing that you had in the book, which actually came to me through a, a, someone who used to work here at Focus, Clark Miller. Mm-hmm. I thought it was one of the best pieces of advice he would give and talk about, which was try to say yes more mm-hmm. than you say no. Mm-hmm. And that really caught me, especially when my boys were younger, you know, when they would come to me and say, Daddy, can we do such and such? It's so easy, especially busy dads, mm. and uh, saying, well, you know what, right now isn't the best time, mm. but let me do it later. Right. And it was just a good wake-up call to try to say yes mm-hmm. more often than you say no. Right. Speak to that. Well, I just had the thought at one point, you know, it's easy, like you said, it's easier to say no, because you don't have to put any thought into it. Right. right, and it can be a distraction. Let's go have a snowball Very fight. So. Let's go build a fort. Exactly. I mean, it's like okay, wow. Right, right. It, but you know, we again, we want to set a precedent so that when there's something really important, they still want to come to us. Mm-hmm. And I just thought, you know what? Does saying no make me a better parent? Hmm. I thought, well, 
Not necessarily, right? And so I'm much better when they ask me something just to take time to pause and reflect what is it they're really asking. And it's a great opportunity to get into dialogue. You know, they're asking a lot of things like where are my shoes and where's my books and all those kinds of things. But they're also going to ask you more significant things like, hey, I'm planning to go out to the movie with my friends. Can can I do that? Well, what's the movie about? Now, my initial response is, no, I I want you to stay home. I don't want you to go out again tonight. You've been out three nights in a row. No, right? But (laughs) Sounds like a familiar (laughs) tape. That's a lot. The answer may still be no, but if we give them the, again, the respect of just listening to them, having a little dialogue, letting them know that we considered our response before giving our response. Now, even if the answer is no, they're going to feel better about it because they'll know that, hey, at least we thought about it. We asked questions about it. And then if we do say no and that's where stopping and pausing and making sure that we're thinking before we talk because once we say no you know you want to stick to your guns that and the only way you can do that is if you really thought through and understood what they're asking so that you can make a firm definitive answer because otherwise you know you're going to get the kids that they're just going to keep repeating and keep repeating and keep asking and those are the kids that often just wear you down and they know if they keep asking enough yeah eventually mom or dad will say yes Right. And they'll also know, like, if one parent is the yes parent and one they parent who is to go the no to. parent, they'll know who to go to. And right? then, boy, does that get messy in your Ooh, marriage. That's not a good <laughs> you said yes to them again? <laughs> right. So, I mean, those are good things. In fact, you had that story at the water park, which I thought was good. This is more in the activity area mm. and not really something I want to do as a teenager. Right. But, you know, just saying yes to that, what happened? Yeah. Yeah. And so what's so interesting about this, this was Matthew. He was like four years old and we were at this huh. great water park, right? And... um I was ready to be done. You know, they were, we were there with other family and we were off by ourselves and he wanted to go on the master blaster one more time. <laughs> right. And I started to walk away and I said, Matt, let's go. We're, we're done. And I, he didn't follow me. And I turned around and he was standing there with his arm folded and he just gave me this look. And I was just convicted at that point. It was just like, where do I have to go? I don't have any place to go. We could go have another fun ride down the slide. Yeah. Right. And so my alternative could have been Matthew. I could have gone, grabbed his arm and started walking away. We are well, leaving now. Well, where would that have gotten us? And, and instead what I did, I said, okay, one more ride. Are you good with that? He said, yeah, one more ride. So we w- went to the master blaster, had a great time coming down. We were done then. And, you know, the rest of the night was great. Right. He was happy. You were happy. I, we're yeah. all happy. And I, I wasn't late for anything. There was right. no reason, no good reason that I couldn't have. It was just, just going to take time and energy for me. And again, creating conflict where you didn't need to create didn't it. Need it right? In the 52 Parenting Principles book, uh, you also talk about building trust with your kids. And that can be hard to do, especially at the teen years. You know, they're starting to expand their wings. They want some independence. It's completely natural, but this is where oftentimes conflict starts in a bigger way. How do we help our children uh, aspire to that better future when sometimes they're doing things that don't deserve our trust? And you got to look over their shoulder and maybe even call them out on some things. Right. Well, kids lie. Right? Are it you starts, serious? It starts at a I young, wish you would have told me that years ago. <laughs> it starts at a young age, and they do it for good reasons, right? They think it's going to protect them. They don't want to. They want to avoid the consequence for whatever reason. They think it's in their best interest at this point in time to lie about it. Um, but I think that we have to begin from a point of trust and not from a point of doubt, because that's going to come across in the tone that we use and the words that we say. Right. And so let's just honor them by trusting them, even when they mess up. 
because it's our responsibility to teach them to be trustworthy. Now, it doesn't mean if they lie to us that there's not consequences for that, but they need to have continual reinsurance and encouragement that no matter how many times they mess up, we still believe in them. And believe it or not, our kids want us to believe in them, yeah, right? Yeah. They want to please us. No matter how many times they mess up, it's in their heart to want to please their parents. And the thing we have to remember, if we're continually criticizing or condemning our kids and complaining about them, they don't stop loving us. They stop loving themselves. And that's not a good place to be. That's a powerful point. Wow, that is really mm-hmm. powerful. And what a great reminder mm-hmm. of our main goal. Mm-hmm. So often, Miles, right here at the end, you know, this idea of tone and how we address mm-hmm. issues. And, you know, sometimes Gene is so good pulling me aside saying, you may not know you're a big guy and the way you're coming across right now is a little strong. And I would not know it. I thought I was just addressing the issue, mm-hmm. you know, but she would say, eh, your voice is a little stern. Mm-hmm. The boys are looking up at you. You know, they're, mm-hmm. I think they are more fearful than they are listening. Mm-hmm. It, it's good to have that kind of check and to invite it because right. you don't always know how you're coming across. And it's not your intent. Especially I think dads, you know, we're the ones in the weeds on this a little bit sometimes because mm-hmm. we can be really strong and especially physically Mm-hmm. we're strong. Mm-hmm. And, you know, your kids can be a little fearful of that. So ha- how do you encourage being mindful of all those little things that sometimes your brain is just not alerting you to how you're right. behaving? Well, be open to the feedback, right? So Jean yeah. gave you the feedback, right? So yeah. she felt good enough about where your relationship is that, hey, she could talk to you about that. So that's really important. Yeah, most of the time I'm open to yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> well, and the other thing is, yeah. you know, you pick a time and just you have everybody has smartphones now, right, with a little record you can record stuff so put it on the counter and hit record oh wow right and then when you're interacting with the kids just and you'll even forget that it's on then push stop and go back and listen to it and listen to how you sounded to yourself yeah i mean the big part of this is awareness right there's if you look at the behavior change model there's kind of three steps in in creating a new behavior the first is awareness and that's really what a lot of the book is about how do we become aware of the things that we're doing that we can do differently so after you're aware of something then you're in the position to go into okay how can i change that and then the third step is to create a supportive environment create an environment that supports the behaviors we want. And sometimes it's other people that can help us stay in that zone. And I think, you know, what I've learned and seen now that my boys are in their 20s is the critical component of loving your Mm. children. I mean, and sometimes we may think we're loving them when in fact we're just critiquing them and we see that as love or we're correcting them or we're looking at the C and not the four A's Mm. or whatever. Maybe it's four C's and one A. Whatever the circumstances, sometimes we lose track of the power of love, Mm. which is what God is telling us, right? Right. And I'm often convicted, Miles, in that idea that God has forgiven us much. Mm. And sometimes as parents, we don't use that in our relationship Mm. with our children because we set the bar at perfection. And when they fall short of it, we're on them. And I'm so grateful that our Father in Heaven Mm. doesn't treat us that way and me that way, right? right? When you fall short, is he right there at your throat? Right. No. You know, he wants right. you to be aware of it, repent of it, and then get back into relationship with him. And it, it is the simple truth of parenting. It's the same concept right. to show grace and love hmm. to your children. Not, yeah. So you've done a great job. 52 Parenting Principles. What a, a really tangible resource for us as parents. I wish you would have written it you know, 15, 20 years ago, what happened? <laughs> I know, right? But this would be one I would have uh, certainly 
read through and talked through and read with Gene. And uh, man, we want to get this into your hands. What parent doesn't want to do the best job that they can do raising kids that are healthy, not perfect, but healthy. And we want to help you do that. If you can make a gift of any amount, uh, hopefully monthly, but even a one-time gift, we'll send you a copy of Miles' book as our way of saying thank you for participating in the ministry. And you get a great resource, either for yourself or to pass along to a friend or someone at church. So get in touch with us. Let us help you or someone you love do the best job they can do parenting. We're a phone call away. Our number is 800, the letter A in the word family. 800-232-6459, and you'll find all the details at focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. And I'd like to also point out our free parenting assessment. Uh, If you'll invest five to ten minutes of your time, you'll walk away with a great understanding of uh, some of the strengths of your parenting approach and also um, some of the areas of growth. So uh, we'll link over to that free parenting assessment at focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. Miles, again, thanks for being with us. It was really good. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks for being here. And thank you for joining us as a viewer or a listener. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, I'm John Fuller, and we'll invite you to join us again for Focus on the Family as we once more help you and your family thrive in Christ. You're listening to Focus on the Family's weekend broadcast. We'll take a quick break here and then return with another faith-building program for your family. Stay tuned. Oh, hey, Mike. Got here as soon as I could. What's going on, man? Hey, I just wanted to give you an update on my marriage. Is it good news? Yeah. Our marriage is going great right now. I couldn't be happier. Dude, that's awesome. Yeah. It's like a solid 5 out of 10. (laughs) Having a marriage that's just okay isn't where couples really want to live. Give yourself and your spouse an all-inclusive weekend where you'll slow your pace and focus on each other. Get more details at FocusOnTheFamily.com slash getaway. That's FocusOnTheFamily.com slash getaway. Today on Focus on the Family, Brant Hansen shares a personal story about letting go of anger. I've had to work through forgiving my dad instead of living in response to that the rest of my life because I could say, well, it's righteous anger. He was so wrong. Like, yeah, he was wrong, but I don't want to be defined by that the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. And God has forgiven me. I've got to let go of that anger in order to be healthy. It's pretty easy to get offended, isn't it? People at work, at home, or even on the freeway can do things that hurt our feelings. And it may seem they're trying to get under our skin, but maybe we need to take a deep breath and uh, think about how our own attitude factors into those scenarios. Today we're featuring a great conversation on Focus on the Family with radio personality Brand Hansen. He's got stories and insights about how you can let go of offenses and anger even when it's hard to do. Your host is Focus President and author Jim Daly, and I'm John Fuller. John, not long ago we spoke with Brand Hansen on this great topic of being unoffendable. <laughs> and that's the title of his book, Unoffendable. Hmm. I think the larger culture has no idea what to do with the pervasive anger we see around us. And this lack of forgiveness, it is ruining our lives. The Bible says in Colossians that we should put away anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk. And then Matthew 6 says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. And that is good news. Mm -hmm. Uh, Those are some of the issues you'll hear today to help you in your walk with Christ. And if you're not yet a believer, this discussion will help you also in letting go of the offenses a little better. 
And Brand Hansen is well known for his unique and humorous syndicated radio broadcast. In fact, he's won an award for National Personality of the Year more than once. And he's an advocate for healing children with correctable disabilities through Cure International. And uh, as Jim said, uh, Brand's book is called Unoffendable, How Just One Change Can Make All of Life Better. The book has now been revised and expanded, and we have copies of it here at FocusOnTheFamily.com slash broadcast. Let's go ahead and get started with this conversation on Focus on the Family with Jim Daly. Now, unoffendable, mm-hmm. let me get to it. Why are we offended so often by people, even for those of us who claim Christ and we know the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, goodness, well, self-control? Why does that guy that cuts me off on the road get to me so easily? Well, number one, I think we're th- anger's being threatened at some level. I think we know that, that it's threat. So I guess somebody cutting you off at some deep level, some primal level or something is like... <laughs> He's going to get to the food before I get there or something. <laughs> well, now you're, you're kind of getting a little close here. But there's something deep down there that's like, why are you entitled to this but not me? So we feel threatened. But that's anger across the board. There's things that make us feel threatened that should make us feel threatened. So there's, there is a good response, I guess. Well, there's a natural anger that happens. Let's describe and, them. Let's go with what's a normal you know, anger response and what is over the top. Give well, us some if, idea. if your parents are abusive mm-hmm. or you've gone through some horrible things in your life, somebody's taken the life of a family, like anger, of course, is going to be a response to that. I mean, we're actually wired for fight or flight. We're wired to have all these physiological reactions that happen when we're threatened. The problem is for the Christian, um, the idea of when does forgiveness actually begin? Or are we supposed to stay angry? Because we've been taught, and I think this is to get at your question about why this is such a big issue for Christians, we're, we're not taught out of anger. We're told that, well, it's righteous anger. My anger is righteous, so we hold on to it. The problem is, and this is the shocking thing in the book, that when people first hear about it, they're like, that can't be true. I'm saying in the book that there is no biblical righteous anger for humans. God's anger is righteous. Yes, Jesus' anger is righteous. He's holy. Yeah. But for us, we're not good arbiters of our own anger. We feel threatened when we don't need to. We're supposed to get rid of anger before the sun goes down. Mm. That doesn't mean that it's righteous. Yeah. If it's so righteous, why are we supposed to get rid of it right now? And it's... there's no good scriptural argument for holding on to anger and having entitlement to it. But the biggest reason for actual forgiveness and, ex- and surrendering our so-called right to anger is because we are sinners too. Like, Jim, you know this. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Like, like, you have let people down as well. Yeah, sure. And even if they're wrong, I've done just as bad. This is the status we have as believers. It's not because they deserve forgiveness. It's because I didn't. Wake up in the morning and realize this is going to happen. When you get on the interstate and people cut you off, you shouldn't be shocked again. Yeah. I can't believe this. C- can you believe people? Yeah, believe it. Hmm. It aggravates me, too. But I've got to adjust to reality and wake up and think, today I'm going to extend the forgiveness that God has given me toward other people, and I'm not going to be shocked by their behavior. Yeah. I remember um, when I wrote Finding Home, my first book, about uh, you know the story of being an orphan kid, which I had to go through all that as a young boy. Mm-hmm. And the, one of the criticisms I received, and you deal with criticism in Unoffendable, because mm-hmm. criticism comes our way, mm-hmm. certainly as public people. Totally. I remember one person, when I first started doing the radio program here at Focus, somebody wrote in and said, Jim Daly's voice is too high. 
And I went, wow, that's something I just can't help if people are offended by that. I'm sorry. And I'll pray that God would give me a bit lower voice for you. But uh-huh. I mean, you can't do much about that kind of thing. Uh-huh. Um, the other, but in this case, um, somebody reviewing the book said, Daly's best advice is to keep your expectations low, which for me, they just missed the whole point. What I was trying to say there is one way to survive a world that is often offending you is to realize that people are people, that yes. mom and dad are going to let you down, right. that relatives are going to let you down, that you're going to let yourself down. Now, you could tag that with low expectations. I say it's realistic expectations. Would you agree? Absolutely. And when someone says, I can't believe what my mom just said, like, think about that. Unpack that. How long has your mom been saying stuff like that? Like, take out the trash? Yeah, 57 years. <laughs> right. Like, well, at some point, go ahead and believe that she said that people do things like people do, and they've done it for thousands of years. Yeah. I mean, the first two brothers that were born, one of them killed the other one. Yeah. The idea that we're shocked by human behavior. We, if you're a Christian believer, I mean, we should be the people who are not shocked. Mm-hmm. We know what our hearts are like. We know what God's been willing to do for us. Like, so to continue for us to be constant righteous anger and just be up in arms about how everybody else is behaving doesn't make sense. We should be the ones who are the least surprised by their behavior. I know. And I guess that realization that we are in a broken world, we're still sinners, but we're saved by grace. Thank right. you, Lord. Right. And we're trying to rectify these instantaneous impulses in us. You have, a, I think, a, a parking lot story where oh, you almost sure. got in a fight or something. Now tell yours and I'll tell mine. You, know, <laughs> you may be conflating different <laughs> stories. I don't know. We'll go for it. But um, yeah, I mean, like I've had... One day to the next, I'm in a parking lot and I'm pulling out and I was taking too much of the center and I was blaming the person pulling in. And then someone was in the place where I was yesterday and I was blaming him. And all that to say, it's always, we're always the victims. Absolutely. In our minds, (laughs) and there's actually a proverb that says the first to testify always seems right. Mm -hmm. The first to, in, in my mind, guess who the first to testify is? And every conflict and every inconvenience and every, it's, it's me. So obviously I think I'm right. I always think my anger is righteous. But yeah, we've had that. I think I cited in the book almost getting in a fist fight about a ping pong. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm still laughing about this, but a ping pong thing with my church fellas. Like, <laughs> okay, this is good. I know. Well, Confession I, is good for the soul. It was, I didn't even realize it was a fight. Like, I'm not naturally giving. I don't pick up on cues, like I said, and then I realized this guy's about to punch me in the face. What did you do? About, did you cheat at ping pong? No, I, I was saying that the rules are the serve goes this way, like we were playing doubles. <laughs> <laughs> so you were straightening this guy totally. out. Well, I guess, and um, but... <laughs> To have to stick it out. I mean, my point in the book was we stuck it out. We're still friends. Like, we know we're broken, but people split up all the time. Hmm. We split up with our church family. We split up because yeah. we're constantly getting offended. This is the way the whole world operates. We should be the ones that don't. Like, we're the ones who don't because we know we're broken. Hmm. So we should go, yep, that's us again. And extend forgiveness as God's forgiven it to us, to other people. This is what we should be like. Now, it's one thing to laugh about these funny encounters, and they happen from time to time. But hopefully in your sanctification process, what you're driving at is they're fewer and fewer Yes, in terms of occurrence. They're happening with greater time distance, right? I think that's right. Um, is that the goal? What about the person that wakes up every day, the believer who's saying, you know, I'm offended again. If you're feeling offended quite often, is that something you should look at? Yeah, I think so. If, and here's the weird thing. Once we call it righteous anger, we pat ourselves on the back for being angry. 
instead yeah. of doing the opposite, which is deal with your anger, get rid of it before the sun goes How down. How do we know it's righteous anger? We don't. That's just it. God knows his anger is righteous because he's holy. Okay, but some people hearing that right now are saying, no, no, Brant, I know what righteous anger is. When I get upset at this politician mm-hmm. or this abortion doctor mm-hmm. or that gay couple that lives nearby. But see, here's the, here's the problem. You're a sinner, and God has chosen to forgive you, and it costs blood. Like, can you extend that to other people? This is not to say what they're doing is right. See, that's where people get thrown, is they're going, oh, I guess everything's okay then. You're just being a relativist. Totally not. What I'm saying is that God's been willing to forgive me. I have to forgive my anger against them because I'm the unmerciful servant if I don't. Hmm. Look what he's done for me. Jesus makes this story very obvious, like one man's forgiven a lot and won't extend that to someone else. Now, that said, we should still take action against stuff, but people confuse anger with action in our culture. You've probably noticed they think tweeting about something, look how angry I am. Everybody's angry all the time about everything. That's today's culture. Right. But what we're called to do is actually take action to correct injustice, actually to do things. Anger does not help us do that with a clear mind. Mm. It actually inhibits our clear mind. We don't want our police our military acting out of anger, but we do want them taking action. And so this is what I'm called to do as a believer is to actually do things, sacrifice, do what I can. But patting myself on the back for being angry actually doesn't help anybody. This Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment. Man, I knew my marriage was falling apart. I just didn't know how to fix it. I felt like I would always be alone, even if I stayed married. At Focus on the Family's Hope Restored Marriage Intensive, we offer hope to couples in crisis so they can have the marriage they've always dreamed of. For the first time, I felt like my husband truly heard me. I've received some great tools from the counselors that have changed my life and my marriage. To begin the journey of finding health, go to HopeRestored.com today. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming. Uh, Brant, you had to wrestle with some faith issues when you were a young man. Um, I think there were some anger issues when you were a boy. Describe what was going on and, and how you began to get a handle on your anger, even as a child. Yeah, this is hard to talk about, but it's a good question, and I do reference it. I'm a preacher's kid, and we went through a lot of stuff in the home from my dad that was the exact opposite of what he was preaching. I saw him preach three times a week. right. How old were you, and how did you translate this is all that? the way growing up? And so was it till the first? Is hypocritical or? Oh, totally. I was scared mm-hmm. at home. My parents divorced mm. when I was in seventh or eighth grade, and then remarried each other, and then divorced again. Squaring that with the reality of faith is very difficult, and it made me extremely skeptical. And I am a very skeptical person. Yeah. It's just I'm so skeptical. And I write about this some, but just I'm so skeptical it's chased me back around to Jesus. Because That's I, a good thing. Because, yes, I think it is because you see human nature, I think. Mm-hmm. And I don't know anybody else who does anything about it. Hmm. Like he's the only one that acknowledges sin and then does something about it that I can find. And the things he said about how we're not, all, we're not good, none of us, just strikes me as that's accurate. Right. (laughs) So he says that, like, he's got the words of life, and I don't know where else to go. The alternatives are not appealing to me. But, yeah, I've had to work through forgiving my dad 
instead of living in response to that the rest of my life, because I could say, well, it's righteous anger. He was so wrong. Like, yeah, he was wrong, but I don't want to be defined by that the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. And God has forgiven me. I've got to let go of that anger in order to be healthy. Yeah. How How is that translated now that you're a father yourself how, and a Christian in your own home life, not to, you know, look too closely and personally, no, but if you're willing... Have you felt some days where you're going, oh, my goodness, I'm just like my dad. I'm just uh, the uh, same as him. I, I, I'll tell you this. And I'm sure there's good and bad in that. Well, being a professional who talks about Jesus now on the radio, so I have this platform like my dad did, hmm. and I write, and I get attention for talking about Jesus. I honestly am very attentive. I don't want any word coming out of my mouth to be something I don't mean. Yeah. And I want my kids to be able to listen to my podcast or listen to my show or read my books and go... That's dad. Yeah. And that they, it's consistent. And they do. <laughs> and um, th- they're grown up. They're in their early 20s now. And they still will listen because they miss me. But they at least feel like they're getting some dad. If they listen to the podcast, they live on the different coasts. And um, I'm very thankful for that. I'm like, the fact that they see the public me and the private me. And they're like, that's dad. That that hmm. That's big. Yeah. And I appreciate your heart. I think in the book you mentioned a time when you were prepping for your radio program and you were in, maybe you didn't recognize it at first, but you were going to a subscription. Oh, no, I recognized it. Okay. So <laughs> when it, it, yeah, rather can, than me paint the wrong picture, why don't you paint the well, picture? Well, think about this. I'm a Christian radio host. I actually used to know this guy. We used to be friends and he wasn't a believer that I knew of or anything, but he did a radio prep service, which costs a subscription. It was like $50 a month. And it gives you like the stuff to talk about that day. Mm-hmm. And so I had a password for it, and so I would download it and use it without paying. And this went on at this Christian station I was at for six, eight months. And suddenly he emailed me while I was downloading it and said, hey, what's going on, man? Just checking in. And I was like, <laughs> oh, no, he could see you know, my IP address or something, and he knows the Christian guy is stealing his stuff. Hmm. I guess this went on for a year. I owed him like 600 bucks. And so... I could barely function. I'm like, I've been stealing your... I, I, Mr. Christian, whatever, have been stealing from you for about a year. Huh. And I need to send you a check for $600. And he wrote me back and said, you know what? I'm going to forgive you. Don't worry. So here's the non-Christian guy, seemingly. Like, I know who I am. And we kid ourselves if we think we're not bad. And so... When I recall that sort of stuff, it's very difficult not to extend that forgiveness to other people. Like, if God has let me go for being that kind of person, why can't I extend that to other people? I have to. I don't have a choice. Is that a one-time decision, Brandon? No, it's every day. And that's what I think. No, I mean, I'm thinking about a a specific offense that has occurred. Do you, like, even as big as the the deal with your dad, did you forgive him and move on? No, it's on—I think it's an ongoing decision. It does get easier. But I think it's the it's the decision to relinquish the right to anger. Because, again, you'll feel things, but it's the idea that I'm not entitled to this anymore mm. because of what God's done for me. And to be sure, we know people have had family members murdered and they let go of that anger because they have to. That's the thing, too. Besides the fact that Jesus commanded us to forgive people, just physiologically, it'll lengthen your life. Yeah. Like Jesus knows us. And he's giving us a way of forgiveness where we actually flourish. And if we reject that way, we're going to suffer. And again, not just physiologically, but our relationships suffer. We go through 
It torpedoes other relationships because we've got anger that we haven't let go of mm-hmm. because we're constantly living in reaction to that thing that happened to us yesterday or 20 or 40 years ago. And we've got to let it go. Yeah. You, you share a story in the book about a car accident. I think that, uh, I, I don't know if it was a friend of yours that was involved in this, but what happened in this car accident? How, why was it an illustration that you used? Okay, she's extremely intelligent, and her, her dad is a very high-ranking professor at a major university, and she's an intellect and, and an agnostic. She drove into a construction zone and hit a guy, and actually it cost him his legs. Mm-hmm. Uh. And she went and visited the hospital room and he forgave her and he said, it's because I believe in God and because I'm a Christian, I have to let this go. And I want you to know I've forgiven you. Well, she's now a believer because of that. Wow. The power of forgiveness. Yeah, because there's nothing else in the world that would give you that resource to do that. Uh, My wife was attacked by a guy on the street last year and we had to wrestle through this. This It's after I wrote the book. So it's like, okay, now what you got? And the police didn't arrest him. I had to wrestle with that after writing the book, the police did not arrest the guy, and he kept walking past our front window. We live on the sidewalk, practically, like we're in a townhouse, an old townhouse. I saw him every day walking, but my wife would see him. I kept, I went to the mayor, the police, like, why haven't you arrested this guy? He assaulted her on the street, threw her on the ground, put her in a headlock, all this stuff. Like, um, but I had to pray about it. And I went, and finally, I was relentless and got him arrested. But it took a long time, but I never gave up. It was like I still was taking action, but it was like we were praying for him to the point that our we felt for him. Mm. And we actually asked for leniency in the sentencing. We wanted mental health evaluations. We wanted, but we got that way because we realized we are sinners. That's a long story no, short. It's a good story. Well, and I, I hope people realize too, I'm not against putting someone in jail or anything like that. It was just amazing how your heart changes when you surrender that right. And I didn't give up on getting him arrested. I think it'd be really compelling in a world of offense if Christians were the ones that were not offendable because we know we're broken. Without a doubt. I mean, that that should be the way, right? Yeah. Wouldn't that be incredibly compelling to people? Like, yeah, there's right and wrong, but we're broken too. Yeah. There's all these scriptures about how anger resides in the lap of fools. It's all negative about human anger. In James 1.20, it actually says, and people never memorize this verse because it doesn't work for our theology, but the verse actually says, there's nothing about man's anger that brings about the righteousness of God. Hmm. And we still think, well, my anger is righteous. Like, that's not in the Bible. God's anger is righteous. God's vengeance is righteous. He's entitled to certain things because he's holy that we're not entitled to. That is powerful. So powerful. Uh, Let's work through a few more examples. For the Christian, uh, what's the alternative to reacting angrily and acting offended? How do we? I mean, role play with me. Oh, man. So I guess we'll take you to the airport, Jim. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, if you can drive for me, that's perfect right there. Here's the thing. I would... What is you're it? sitting on a plane, and yeah. you, you're not getting the service you think you deserve. I think you could act without anger, and it'll be better than if you had anger. Dallas Willard said that, too. He's like, mm-hmm. there's nothing you would do with anger that makes it better. Hmm. You can do it without anger and do it better. Okay, so you guys have brought a lot of travel examples. <laughs> and, and I do travel, and so I've, I've experienced some of those uh, incidents and had some of those feelings. But I'm thinking, Brandt, of um, a harder place to let go of anger, and that's in the home. Mm -hmm. Uh, At home is where I find myself getting triggered. I keep a happy, nice Jesus person face on here at work, 
But I get home and there's a part of me that comes out that I don't like. So what can I do before I get home tonight to kind of prepare for that? Well, again... Because I, I know everything we've talked about here, right. but there are, there are buttons. But the, I think understanding it, first of all, that you, you're not entitled to write to singer, again, and entering into, before you even go into that situation, if you can ask God on the way home, hmm. for 10 seconds, like, please help me to be forgiving. Like, it's really weird, too. I've been married 28 years now. Yeah. And... To continually be put off by who my wife is and for her to be put off by me, we know all this stuff now. And to be able to practice this with with each other and drop things is so fresh and so wonderful. Like, quit trying to reform everybody and police the world in your own home. It's really hard because you're living with humans. It's never going to end. You're always going to be chafing against... And again, it's not to allow all behavior. Like, well, now my kids can do whatever they want. That's not it at all. But the idea that I'm going to be continually offended that my wife doesn't give me a heads up on directions when we're driving. Mm -hmm. Like, like, how long is that going to go on before I'm like, yeah, we're broken and we can have a sense of humor about it? I think even allowing that we should drop things is a huge step and then reminding ourselves before we go into it. I do think workplace is actually not easy mm. for people and, and people are constantly offended at work. And oh, it's yeah. a great idea to, to go, these are the people I'm with. Um, God put me with them and my boss is going to do stuff that my boss does. Now, yeah. how do I love love him or her anyway? Brent, when you look at it, I so often think of marriage in that context. Because, you, you know, how many times have we had marriage experts here, John? It's Gary Thomas or Gary Chapman or some other marriage expert, Greg Smalley, our very own. But when you get down to it, you think, well, why, God? Why have you designed it like this? Why do you pull opposites mm-hmm. together so often? I know not everybody is that way. But you pull introvert and extrovert together and night owl and morning person, dark chocolate, milk chocolate. Uh-huh. And then you put them together and say, okay, make it work. And then you irritate each other. And I think, really, it's simple. Mm-hmm. It really is simple to become more like Christ, which is what? Giving, sacrificial, not as selfish. Totally. And, and you think of that system, and then with what you're doing here with unoffendable, it's similar in how you deal with people. Why does the Lord allow people to irritate? Well, so that you could become more like him and look beyond that irritation mm-hmm. to what God has created. And this is love. Yes. Like when you don't feel it, and you still extend grace to the person behind the counter or the person at work, Like apparently God is really pleased by that. Apparently it's obedience. I mean, this is what love looks like when you're not feeling it in a marriage, for instance. And your wife, like when I was writing the book, my wife brings me tea and I know she's not feeling in love with me and she's had a long day or whatever. I may have just aggravated her and she still does it. That is love. Mm. Like, so this is a chance. It does shape us to make us more like Christ, but it's also, this is God's love language. I think is when we do things for people that aren't doing anything for us. Well, Brent Hansen, you have done a wonderful job. I think this is food for thought. If we've irritated you today, be sure to contact us <laughs> here. Focus on the family. <laughs> we'll post Brant's number. But seriously, yeah, totally. folks, this is where it's at. This is the action. Yeah. I would love, and I work at this every day, and I don't do it perfectly, and Gene would be the first to tell you, but it is something we as Christians need to exemplify. We should be different from the world, mm-hmm. and this is one of the core areas. If everything's offending you, Maybe you need a deeper relationship with Christ. 
And that's good and true for every one of us. And Brant, you've done a wonderful uh, job here in Unoffendable, trying to help us better understand uh, the journey the Lord has for us. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Appreciate Mm -hmm. it. Well, what a good conversation today on Focus on the Family with Brant Hansen on a really serious topic that affects so many. And if you're struggling with anger or you're sensing your home is a powder keg or maybe you have a real division with others, give us a call because we have caring Christian counselors and we'd be happy to set up a time for you to talk with one of them. Yeah, John, and it takes a lot of energy to be angry. Think of that. And as Brant said, letting go of that anger demonstrates God's heart for others, and you get a benefit from that as well. If this conversation has spoken to you, I want to invite you to follow up with us. Uh, Start by asking for Brant's book, Unoffendable. And if you can make a monthly gift of any amount to support the outreach of Focus on the Family today, we'll be glad to send you a copy of the book as our way of saying thank you for being part of the ministry. If you're not able to support Focus monthly, make a one-time gift and we'll send you the book as well. Call for the book or to speak with one of our counselors. Our number is 800-232-6459. You can also find all that you need at focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for joining us today for Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller inviting you back as we once again help you and your family thrive in Christ. Christ.